Welcome to Enlisted Craftsmen, where veterans talk knives and lives. My name's Ethan Lee of E. Lee Custom Knives, and I'm joined by Garrett Elting of Steel Pig Forge and Mike Rizzo of Muffin Man Metalworks. Be sure to give us a follow at the underscore enlisted underscore craftsman on Instagram. And if you would like a question or a funny military story of yours featured on the show, be sure to email us at enlistedcraftsman at gmail.com. Fresh muffins hot out of the oven! Welcome back, everybody. Today, it's just myself and Garrett How's it going? for the episode. So, both myself and Garrett have had interesting weeks, and really interesting weeks to say the least. So, I almost caught myself on fire, and Garrett got very valuable stuff stolen out of his vehicle. In front of his house. Uh, yeah. Which included... It was an Ames 1860 Calvary Saber. An Ames 1886... 1880. 1880... Calvary Saber. Specifically the one that he went to the final round with on his most recent Forged and Fire finale episode. Out of Crew Forge V, and uh, and besides that, also knives. Yeah, they got stolen. Very, very ni- a couple of nice mosaics, yeah, right? Yeah, a couple of uh, explosion pattern mosaics, uh, a finished uh, and Buckeye burl handle with a W two, uh, just an absolutely beautiful hamon on it. And that one was stupid. That one was amazing. Hopefully the the thieves cut themselves with Karma. it or something. Those will bite. Watch yeah. out, Karma bites. Karma's what they need. I'll tell you what. I've only been stolen from once before, but it wasn't ever anything I'd made, and I just know how devastated it would make me feel. Like, yeah, a lot of your work goes into that. Yeah, I put a lot of a lot of heart into it. That was. God, I, I like, I love hate relationship with that sword. Like, I don't ever make swords, so like, yes, it was very cool to make and it was awesome and all, but like, eh, I really want it back. I really want it back because I want to hang it up and never move it again, walk it to the damn yeah. wall. But all the other stuff is really what bothers me. It's all the customers' knives and stuff like that. Stuff that. I had mosaics that I made those knives from that I don't have anymore. That billet left, so I'm gonna have to remake that entire billet. And that billet was like, well, it was a quadruple explosion pattern. So I, that was that took me two days of full forging, two ten hour days in front of a bunch of people. So about twenty hours to make that billet, and then another. 20 hours to forge out the knives from it. And I still wasn't done with knives yet. So you got a bunch of stuff stolen from you. I got damn near caught myself on fire doing something. It's it's alright. It's, it's, it's a little painful because I just went to the burn clinic today. I really didn't want to, but I felt like I should. And no. Uh, what I was doing was trying to be safe by disposing of mixed pistol powder specifically tight group was most of it and a little bit of clays was mixed in you're never supposed to load powder that's mixed so the preferred way per the nra actually to dispose of it is to burn it 
And when I went, when I poured a little bit in the pile, I thought, ah, that that's not, that's really not too much. I was going to make a line to, to burn it, but poured in a pile, ah, that's not too much. I'll just light it. Well, it was a little more than I thought it was. So got second degree burns all on my left arm and got a little bit of heat to my face. It singed my beard, a little bit of my left eyebrow. Man. It was awesome. Ouch. Kind of freaked me I out bet. for a second. I bet. Like, I bet. But it, it all just, it happened so fast, you know. Yeah, immediately did you know your arm was just big? Honestly, what happened, like, right when it happened, I kind of just flew back and got on the, and was on the ground. And, and I was, I just remember hearing the fire keep going. And I, and I just, I actually sat there and, and thought, like, Holy shit, how much powder did I actually put on there? Yeah. <laughs> a little more than I thought, apparently. So, needless to say, Garrett, it doesn't sound, it sounds like you might not be making a few Christmas orders, unfortunately. Yeah, so, I've, I've been contacting some customers and, and letting them know, you know, Christmas is, is going to be difficult this year, if not late, you know, maybe we can make some gift cards or something, or like, a, hey, this is what they were planning on buying you, but somebody stole yeah, some that's... people's stuff and you know, it put you back behind. And I don't know. It's 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 just a, it's just sucks. All right. That's always embarrassing, but it's really not right. Your fault. Yeah, you know, most people I'm sure understand. Yeah, everyone, everyone I've contacted thus far has just been like, "Man, that really sucks." And some of them have even said, "You know, hey, I know you were damn near done with the damn thing, but." You know, you can. Just, I can wait. They're like, it's a knife I didn't necessarily need, and I don't. I don't normally take. Uh, I don't take deposits up front, even if it's, even if it's a pretty expensive knife. I very rarely take deposits up front unless it's. I have to buy a specific knife, like material, handle material, or something. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's just like a wood handle, like stabilized, and and I'm making some mosaic or. Feather Damascus, whatever it is, I don't normally take deposits. Uh, it just it's easier that way, and you know, and then you know, if something like this happens, and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, I've wasted your last, you know, year waiting on this knife, and, and I had a couple guys who were like, I don't need it, so uh, you know, toss me back on the end of the list and let me know uh, when it come when I come up again. That's basically what they said. So, I really appreciate those things. Yeah. So, uh, and those most of those guys are collectors, so they understood it. Uh, life sucks sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I actually. Oh, I mean, I, I said I hadn't been, really been. I've only been stolen from once. I, I kind of maybe. I'm pretty sure this knife got stolen, but I, I just shipped a, a guy a folder, and uh, he got the package with no knife. It had all my other, all the business cards, the stickers, everything else I throw in the packages, but no knife. And you can almost clearly see where someone's fingerprints of the sticky residue were on the package. Cause I actually put it in an envelope. I didn't put it in a box. So from now on, I'm putting every single thing in boxes. Now I normally save like four or five bucks by sending the folders in those envelopes, but... Can't trust it now, I guess. Not now. I mean, I guess it almost looked like the heat was enough to... Like, of New Mexico was enough to... to Yeah, to, to make the residue, the stickiness kind of tacky. And But, I mean, you can see somebody's fingers there. But the post office, that they're, they are about as useless as tits on a snake. Like, they... Yeah. So I've had I had a knife stolen in California um, by the mail carrier, plain as day, uh, on a camera at the customer's house, stealing a knife. What? Yeah. So. And of course, they didn't do anything about it. No. Wow. So I believe they were actually making a case against this guy, like he had been stealing mail from other people as well. But he, I, I mean, he must have been able to tell it was a knife or something fancy because I put a steel pig mm-hmm. forge sticker on the outside and I made it look really nice because it was going to be a gift for uh, a buddy of mine's, um, their class sergeant. It was uh, supposed to be a gift for him 
it was a really badass knife. I went to a friend's house and had it uh, engraved on the spine and on the and underneath side of the handle. Uh, you know, probably a fifteen hundred dollar knife. And play his day, dude walks up, click, like he delivers it, looks at it for a second, puts it back under his arm, scans a couple more, <laughs> puts all the rest of them down, and walks back to the truck. Wow! And you can see it plain as day. So he took the whole yeah. package. He didn't. Just... My buddy was, and wow. it was a training for. It was the, uh, like I said, it was it was for their instructor. He was, it was at the San Francisco Police Academy. He was, so I so he comes to me and is like, hey, where's the knife? And I said, well, it was delivered. It shows delivered, man. Hundred percent shows delivered. And he goes back and he looks at his footage and he's like, oh my god. Well, he takes it to his lieutenant, and sure as shit, after he graduates, that was his, like, first case or whatever, was trying to, trying to get his knife back for the guy, you know? So, he went around, and he did as much as he could, and then uh, I made a real big stink with the uh, Postmaster General, and then if you contact the, uh, uh, there's also another branch, OIG, that's what it is, Office of Inspector General. Bam! I knew I would. Enjoy, I would. Yeah. So that's those guys are the actual, like USPS police, basically. Oh, you need okay. to contact huh. them. OIG. They're hard to. OIG. Yeah, Office of Inspector General. There. Well, the thing that sucks about this is like I reported a lost package, but since the package arrived, the tracking number shows delivered, and the package arrived. It just, the piece in the package was lost, yeah. which they're essentially going to blame that it package, wasn't packaged enough package or something. Correctly. But but did you know, though, because I called the post office a while back about something else. It was actually something someone was sending me, and it was, thankfully, it was only like a $12 thing. But uh, that if the post office actually loses a package, there is some actual law that exempts them from accepting responsibility but it was passed several years ago but there is basically they the way they explain it to me is that it is not their fault that they lose a package it is your fault for not insuring the package but then i know a lot of people that have told me if you insure it for a knife they can't verify the value easily at all so they basically, you basically will go around and around with them and they won't ever end up paying up. So what I'm going to do, I'm still kind of looking into it, but I'm going to take out a personal articles policy on some stuff and then just, if something ever like this happens again, just report that I've lost something yep. or because that's about the only way you can do it if you're delivering knives like we yep, do. Exactly. That's what a lot of guys do. Yeah, that's what uh, J.W. Randall recommended me to do, so that's what I'm going to probably do. Sucks, but... Yeah. God, it sucks, people. People suck. So, what knife projects have you been working on, the ones that haven't gotten stolen? Uh, I've, I've got to crush through a bunch of these uh, steak knives for the for the restaurant. Uh, I've got a bunch ground out. I just got to get some handles on them. I got to get them finished. That was another thing that was stolen was a whole big box of belts and sandpaper, epoxy, super glue. Um, that was sitting on my front seat. I was taking it to the shop the next morning, too. And uh, that got stolen, but it actually got returned um, by a guy. I wish I would have gotten his name. He rang the doorbell. We got him on the camera and everything, but we don't know. Don't know. He rang the doorbell? Yeah, rang the doorbell. We were in the backyard messing with the chickens or something like that. I think, she, yeah, that's Paige had just gotten back from Orchlands or something with uh, some feed, and we were in the backyard. I didn't hear him. I opened up the front door, and I see all this stuff here, and I'm like, what the hell? I said, hey, was this here when you got home? And she said, no. And I was like, that was two minutes ago. And sure, it was like three minutes after she got home. The guy rang the doorbell. So we're upgrading our camera system. We've got two cameras. We're putting in four more, just because the unit that we're getting can hold six. So we're going to get the 
six Mm-hmm. But I mean, my cameras wouldn't have done shit for my truck, anyways. Where I was parked, the neighbors came and stood considerably better than mine did. So, well, that's but still, I mean. Uh, oh, sucks. and one of the other funny things, or I should say funny things, and it, you could tell it was kids that stole out of the truck. Uh, the other funny funny thing that happened, uh, they tried to break into my buddy's van that was in my driveway. Well, we couldn't get the door open, but it like jiggled. Well, it must have made him mad enough. One of the kids took their gum out and jammed it in his key door lock. Oh, shit. So, like, when the cops showed up, it started looking around because we realized, after we realized everything was stolen, we didn't touch anything. Um, they're starting dust and stuff for fingerprints, and he's like, oh, hey, you might want to snag this, too. Not mine, by the way. And she's like, yep, yeah, we'll grab that for evidence. So, they've got the, the I was like, Are you, would you guys really test DNA? And she's like, yeah, this is a pretty significant case. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a felony theft. So, uh, we might consider it. It would have to be the DA, but, well, that'd be cool. I can 100% prove they were there. Man, you've had some bad luck where you're at. Dude, I just, I am bad luck. (laughs) I am bad luck incarnate. I don't know who I was in a past life, but I must have been a fucking asshole. Well, it's like, I mean, first your pawn takes like double the money to to do that it's supposed to. Then you get stolen from. Then you get stolen from again. Then you have proof of who who stole from you and you can't do nothing. Like, and then injuries. Crazy. Injure myself. Oh, yeah, good. then injuries. Injure myself real good. Well, I just finished up like... I think it was like 28 fixed blades. The most knives I've ever I made at one those, time. I saw those, man. Those look fantastic. And they all have owners? No, not all of them. Some of actually a couple of them I've already sold and sent oh, off. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, most pretty much all of them are for sale. They're all listed on my website right Wait, now. 325 So, they got a Kydex sheath. Got G10 handles. Hell yeah. And, and micarta and wood. I really did a variety. The micarta is what I'd be after. I love the way that micarta really? looks, man. I don't know. It's something about it. I'll tell you what. I like G10, I think, more than I like micarta. Mostly because it machines very, oh, yeah. very nicely. Well, yeah. Way, way nicely. Micarta machines good. Like, you can drill and tap micarta. Yeah. But G10, like, it, it leaves the best finish. It, it cut, it makes a nice chip. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah. I just got all those knives finished up. Now I got to work on some folders that have to be done before Christmas. And, of course, I took on another one last night. Told someone I could make them one before Christmas. So Yeah, I got to contact. Well, and, of course, I'm leaving for Missouri neck tomorrow so i'll be there for a couple days so i'm not gonna be making any folders so i really gotta gotta get some stuff done all right so we're gonna scoot down there to missouri as well actually i see my wife's family here for thanksgiving that's awesome warsaw pretty close to warsaw but closer to lake of those arts than warsaw is yeah if things were different we'd have to meet up I'm all, I'm not even bringing my own vehicle up there this time. Oh, really? Are you flying or? Yeah, I'm riding with a friend oh, of mine. So, there you go. Bringing some of that Missouri black walnut back with you? No, I hadn't planned on it. Oh, why do you want some? I love the way that black walnut looks. I've got. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna plant a half an orchard, I think, up there at my place. Of some uh, some walnut trees and some berry bushes. What would you plant if you had some big ass field you could do damn near anything with? I'd make a shooting. <laughs> okay, that's already been done. Done no, 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 no. Okay, well. Yeah. Oh, uh, food plot for deer. Uh, I mean, 
of all things to plant, I'm not sure I'd plant walnut trees because, like, in 20 years, how big are they really going to be? They're very small. But my, when my kids are, you know, when I, in 60 years, my kids are 60, they can have that whole damn orchard harvested of 40-foot-tall straight walnut trees. And I, yeah, within- I learned that a walnut tree, if you can find a plant that will take the, the walnut holes, you know, so that they can mm-hmm. crush them and use them for abrasive. If you can find one of those plants and they're close enough, you sell them the walnuts. Um, uh, adult walnut tree, which is like from 20 to like 80-something years old. So for 60 years, it can produce, a single tree can produce like $2,000 worth of walnuts. Really? Yeah, that's how many walnuts. Like, if it's, you know, good good growing conditions. So, it, and all that. so you're saying the shell, the, the shell they use for abrasive is actually worth more than the walnuts themselves. Do they still harvest the nuts? I do believe so. I do believe they still harvest the nuts and then they use the... But I think they harvest the nuts for uh, uh, like walnut oil, actually. They like press it. Because they're not... Walnut oil? Yeah, because they're not trying to like... Like a plant that's going to try and get the walnuts out whole so they can sell them as walnuts. Um, They're going to go about doing it way different than these guys do. These guys just smash them. Sure, they separated out some somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, they. Speaking but, yeah, of racers, crazy. Yeah. Well, speaking of how stuff is made and everything, I just learned this week how steel shot is made because I know a guy that actually used to work at a plant that made steel shot for shotguns, and I always knew how lead shot was made. You know how they make yeah, lead they shot? drop it from a shot yeah. tower. Yeah. Steel shot, they actually, they actually, sl- they sling it. They they pour like a, a molten thing in this molten little puddle of of steel in, in the center of this thing. And then they've got this thing with centrifugal force and it actually slings it. And then while it's in the air, it's being cooled. And then it hits the walls and then falls down. And then it's sorted. And then how they can make... Oh, bigger, smaller shot by how fast they spin this thing. Okay, okay. Then as it falls down, it gets separated and and all that. Interesting. Hmm. Centrifugal force versus a shot tower. Yeah. Kind of interesting. It always amazes me how some stuff's made. It was rolled for some reason. I really never knew. I had a guy when I got out of the Marine Corps. I lived. With my wife is a bum, up up by Fresno for six months. Our neighbor was a retired master chief, and uh, he had nothing to do all day. And I don't know why he retired anymore, but he did. And he had a shot maker, lead shot maker thing. We pour it, mm-hmm. drips into water. Oh man, we spent days trying to get that damn thing to work. Never could really get to work great. I've heard they never produce consistent round pellets. They're always teardrops. Yeah. Always teardrops. It was, it was sucky. I don't know. Maybe we needed cleaner lead. I don't know. It was pretty clean. Who knows? Hmm. I, I, thought, I actually thought about building one at one time, but I don't know. I don't really want to use up all my lead for half-ass shot. Right. <laughs> right. So... So you uh, got any new knife designs on the bat on the on the forefront now that you've got these twenty eight done twenty four twenty eight? Right now, I think till after Christmas, I'm gonna be stuck making folders and whatever else I can. Oh, probably trying. I actually have even more of these that are still in the works that I just haven't finished yet. Oh. But yeah, right now I'm just, I'm going to be doing that and just kind of doing all the, getting all the Christmas stuff done, trying to sell these, this big batch of knives I just made. So 
that's that's really I think that's the only ones I've really got right now. One guy, the guy I got they got the folder stolen from from the post office people. Oh, he actually changed his mind and he wants now a gigantic pizza cutter instead. So he said, just add what I paid you for the knife to this next project. Oh, sweet. So I'm like, okay, cool. That's a good way to do it. And that's something I want to make too. That's a nice, fun, different thing. So, so what's the next big thing you want to learn in knife making, Garrett? next big thing. I want to I want to be able to do <clears throat> hidden tangs perfect every single time. And I just I I just haven't tried enough. I don't think to uh give it, give it a shot at saying that I'm bad at it. So I haven't even tried enough to, <laughs> to be bad at it. So uh, they just intimidate me for some reason. Uh they it's, I feel like any small amount of error is very noticeable with a hidden tang. So I feel like I want to make sure that my skills are at a high enough level that I don't have to worry about that, I guess. What do you specifically struggle with on hidden tangs? Just the fit up with the blade and the guard on just the face fit up. Uh, I've tried it a few different ways. Uh, Carl Anderson's way, I really like his, his way of doing it. Um, I also tried the way that uh, Nick Wheeler, I watched a few of his videos, uh, how he press fits his kind of his on. Really like that. But I just, I feel like I, I try to do it and it just buckles or, uh, you know, I get it down on there and nothing's flat for some reason now. Um, Do you ever deal with gaps? Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Is I just, is gaps either between the blade and the face or between you know, the, the, the heel of the knife and the guard. Well, I'll tell you a trick that uh, Cody, however you Hoffsimer. say his last name, Hoffsimer? Mm-hmm. Hoffsimer? Yeah. Uh, what he... told me when it comes to gaps is i mean this isn't talking about necessarily the gaps from the the top from the face of the guard to the the blade but it's talking about the gaps from in the slot yeah 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 he told me if you just take and peen wherever your gaps are surface grind back over it or even just you know hand sand over it in a lot of cases he said the peening you do it's not near as deep as you think and you know what He's right. Like it's you really can do that, and you can do a lot of it. Mm. He actually made a post one time about how he he closed up a gap that like Ray Charles could see. Like it oh, was it, it was impressive, and with painting, with painting, yeah. Interesting. So Sick. that's another. And what material? What material was he using? I think he was using stainless guard. Oh, shit. Stainless, or I think it was stainless, or maybe just carbon steel. I don't know. It might have been Damascus. I don't know. Damascus is a lot harder to see, though. Yeah. See, and I, I, that brings me to wanting to buy my next tool on the list whenever I decide to do that. I want to buy a TIG welder because I really love how uh, Salem Straub forge welds his guards on. Just, I'm like, duh. Oh, he so, tig weld, he fuses a weld, yeah. and then he just puts it in and the forge. Just, and then, oh, yeah. Just a single hit with the boudry, and there we go. We're done, you know. Hmm. Interesting. And then now you've got Damascus guard, an integral Damascus guard. that You know, I don't worry about filling gaps or anything like that. Put it in the, just mill the face, flip over, mill the face. I never knew that. He welds his guards on. I thought it was all one solid piece the whole time. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You gotta catch some of his posts. I guess technically it's an integral still. It is, because it's forged welded on. It's an integral. Yeah. But that's how he always gets that pattern. It's because you can see it's from his main billet. Yeah. Once he gets finished, right. he snags that. And it's that pattern, and it's so tight and everything. 
how does that pattern not expand if he's building this whole damn knife? Well, it's because he just forged with his own. That makes so much sense now. I guess you just mm-hmm. got to think outside the box. Exactly. I love I love learning things from these guys. You know, another thing. We were uh, we were putting in a sliding glass door this morning at the shed. My grandpa drove all the way up here two hours. He used to build homes. He helped us put the windows in yesterday afternoon and then helped us put the door in and whatnot this morning. And me and my buddy Bridwell are sitting there and we're talking about how we do it. My grandpa comes over and he's like, hmm. nope, nope, making it too hard. Like, what? And he just he gets down there with a level and it's not four minutes and he's like, just put a screw there, 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 and there. We're done. And sure, shit, it was. Sometimes this, and I was just like, I wouldn't have thought I have done it the way you did it at all, but it was so simple. Like, duh. So I don't know how he did it, but I know how my brother told me to do it, and I'm not a I'm not a carpenter at all. But like, I was one time putting in a door, and it's like you know you fight it here, you fight it there, you do all this. And my brother told me he said hanging a door is not that hard. He said all you got to do is figure out where you're level at and the two sides mm-hmm. cut them unlevel to where it forces it to be level. Then all you got to do is get it plumb and you're good to go. And I'm like, that, that's what? so simple. Of course that would work. This episode of Enlisted Craftsman is brought to you by Maritime Knife Supply, a great small company carrying many knife supplies we use every day. Also brought to you by the Scooter Brown Band, I've been listening to the Scooter Brown Band for years. A great songwriter that really hits home. Also brought to you by the Louisiana Custom Knife Show. The Louisiana Custom Knife Show is a small show that continues to grow each year due to everyone's support. So like, we had a huge gap. We had a pretty, not a huge gap, like a decent gap for this thing. It's like a story. Like, I'm sitting there like, oh, we're going to have to shim this side and shim that side and shim this side. <laughs> trying to get it and he comes over and he's like no and he goes over and he goes he puts his level on the on the two by four of the the opening and he says look it's, it's level straight he goes screw that right up against this just screw 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 he's like look now this is level on this side now we only have to shim this side and we know that it's already straight and level because we shimmed the bottom in this side he's like so it's perfectly square you gotta put braces in here now basically I was like <laughs> duh like yeah like we were we would have sat we would have sat there and fought it for 45 minutes trying to get the damn shins in the right place screwing them in and, and uh, I said uh, I, I did the door here at the house and I just screwed it up royally I said why don't you put your screws through your shims I said, well what if I want to move my shim take the whole screw out there. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I was like, no wonder it was so difficult for me because it's trying to keep doing it through there. And he's like, yeah, you just gotta think about it. And I said, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. You know I said, no, you just gotta have grandpas that can teach you. That's what it is. Yep. You know, that that uh, passing of knowledge is, is a huge, huge thing. I really, I don't want to miss out on that. Yeah, right. That's uh. I'll tell you something. I recently started doing. You don't have a rotary platen, do you? Or do you? No, I don't. I don't. You might still be able to do this without it, but I just recently started going when I'm grinding bevels. Started going directly from a sixty grit to a four hundred grit. And a fresh four hundred. Yeah. But the and the best and it actually works pretty dang well. But I'll tell you what the best thing about it is, is that you can see when you have gotten every single sixty grit scratch out by going to that much of a difference in the belts. Sure. And you can. How many belts you got to go through? Just one. Really? Yeah, I mean, it depending on how big the knife is, you can maybe get two knives out of it. But I, I the sixty grits like whatever. It's either. Normally, my belts are pretty good when I'm using them, but like the 60 grit's not so important. But the 
400 grit, brand new 400 grit. And it's like, you know, you can either spend a lot of time and use other half warm. What about a, what about a 400 grit like gator belt? You know, I haven't used a lot of the gator belts. I need to try that because I, I hear a They're lot of people really like them. They're, the finish they give is top notch. I really, really like them. The one thing I remember, because I've tried them at some point, just a couple of them, and the one thing I do remember is that if you grind a groove in them, like, for, forget about ever trying to get a good, like, finish at that Throw point. It. Throw it away. Yeah. And I know I did that a couple times, and I was like, eh, I don't know if I like these. But now that I've progressed in some of my skills, I think I know a lot better than to do that. So, mm-hmm. I think it would be great on the rotary plat, and I think it would be really impressed. So you go 400, and then what? You go anything past that? Well, depending de- depending what I'm doing, like the folders, I, I then go to a 30 micron, and then that's normally where I stop, and then I hand sand but, uh, do you do like a Scotch Rite or anything? No, I, I have those Scotch Rite belts, but I've never really liked them. Oh, to me, you can't advance from the Scotch Brite belt to belt very well. Like if you use a red Scotch Brite belt, you try to go to the blue one or whichever one it is after that, you can never get all the red scratches out with the blue belt. Hmm. So I go to whatever finish I want afterwards. So like. When I use a gray, if I want a gray scotch Bright, I'll go up to like a 400 grit gator belt or 600 grit gator belt. And then I'll go to scotch Bright from there. And it looks usually pretty, pretty awesome. But, but yeah, only once and you're really only, I don't do it to take any scratches out. I do it to put scratches in. Oh, to hide everything? Consid- yeah. No, more like... <laughs> to hide everything well, i mean <laughs> i mean it does hide a lot don't get me wrong it does hide a lot but but more so to just put that consistent i don't know i can't ever really get a good looking finish unless i have a very very sharp belt you know mm-hmm. so like if i get up to 400s or 600 grit unless i put a brand new belt on for one last pass that's the only time i'm gonna get a good belt finish i feel like yeah so being able to go to a scotch right and put that on having that same exact finish on all the knives if I can go even just all the way up to the 600 grit gator no I'm not going to get a consistent epic good scratch pattern with the gator that's probably been beat to hell for the last you know three months but the scotch right it'll look good so have you ever uh, you ever caught a knife in one of those scotch brake belts or had them grab one? Yep. Yep. Terrible. I bet it would be. I've always worried about it that. It is. Don't use them. Don't use them with a rest. That's one thing I would say. Free hand with them. Um, and edge down. Hmm. I've heard that there's been people actually killed from buffers before. Yeah. Launching knives straight into people's chests. And you know, when I first built my first buffer, it's probably a good thing that I built a 1750 RPM one. Because I, when I was starting out, like I was young and dumb and knew everything. And like knowing what I know now, like a couple of those times when I had a catch a knife, if it was twice the RPM, it could have potentially been bad. Yeah, and it's always, you know, if you're hitting the, the handle one last time before you, you know, put it in the box. Knife is sharp already. I heard about Buffers a, are scary. I heard about a guy one time that was saying he didn't like buffers. Well, this is actually my mentor told me this story. He was saying, he's like, this guy, he's like, yeah, he said he doesn't like buffers. I said, well, why doesn't he like a buffer? He said, because whenever he buffs his blades, he's, he always complains about melting the solder on his guards. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? How much is he buffing on them? Well, too much, apparently. Can you imagine buffing a, a blade that hot? <laughs> Hundreds of degrees. You're talking like 600 degrees plus. Well, no. Well, no. What, what is that? 
solder melt at that tin. You can do the lower temp solder solder too. Well, Stabrite's what I use, but I don't know what it actually melts at. The lead melts at like six hundred and thirty-one degrees, but it that's all yeah. tin. That's all mostly tin. I think it's in like the two to three hundred range, but still two to three hundred. That's why. Why? Yeah, that's how does your? I mean, I. I guess your blade wouldn't be turning colors yet, but still, like... Not yet, but... I think he'd have to at least be... Let me Google this right now. What does 10 melt at? Or stay bright, specifically. Yeah, stay bright. Stay bright solder melting point, 430. Oh, 430. So he would... Holy cow. He'd damn near be turning his blade colors. Yeah, he'd be on his way to turning them colors. Be getting in that straw here soon. God. By the way, did you see recently on Knife Maker's Whiteboard a guy named... Uh, he's a sword maker, Matthew Parkinson. Did you see his post it, about... Oh. About... Oh. It was... I think he got... A, had a piece of steel he made a sword out of and his customer did a... AL had an analysis done of what was in the steel. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be 5160, and it was way off. Yeah. Oh, and it was from Admiral Steel. That's awesome. Yeah. I never never heard bad things about Admiral till then, but after I saw that, I was like, man, like. There's a lot of people that have had problems with Admiral. I'd never heard that. I know. I could probably name, uh, I could probably name at least a handful of people, at least five people. That ordered fifty one sixty or something of the sort and got something way different. And most of the guys were getting something that's like an A thirty six, basically, like a straight up just welding steel. Well, that's crazy because, like, I mean, I've I've been buying from Admiral Steel for years, but I think I'm done now after seeing that. That's all I need to see. Like, but I got thinking back about it, and you know, I I had a I did my journeyman smith test. And no, uh, and I failed it. However, it was so weird. I, I used the wrong quench oil. I used Parks Fifty for Fifty One Sixty. However, I had three knives. One of them that I I tested two of them. Both those two, I was able to bend back and forth multiple times before they broke. The one I happened to test with broke on the very first break one. And I got thinking back, and I don't know for sure. Okay same bar well i know it all came from the same bar but i was trying to remember where i bought it from and i think i bought it from admiral and so i'm and like you know we even the day it broke we looked at the grain structure under jwzl scope and he's like you know it's not maybe the best but it's not really that bad so i'm just wondering now if that might have had something to do with with my knife breaking it's very possible. As far off as his stuff was, like, that blew my mind. You repassed your during this test, right? No, I haven't taken it again yet. I need to. What are you going to use now? Well, I don't know. I kind of want to buy a separate piece of steel from somewhere else just to make sure. Buy some Crew Forge V. Use Crew Forge V. And just do yourself a fucking solid. Use Crew Forge V. Make two of them out of Crew Forge V. And beat one so hard. Just make me happy. I, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of, of using steel I'm not familiar with. I guess if I'm buying it from Admiral, I'm, I'm not familiar with it because I'm not getting what I'm buying. Yeah, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, you're def- they're not even familiar with it. So how are you going to be familiar with it? And then I read some of the comments on that post. And the, a lot of those guys were saying like they've tried to deal with them and they they basically just get told, like, you're lucky we even sell to knife makers and all this. Yep. So. Yep. You're lucky we even carry the steel anymore. We don't sell enough of it for you. See, I, that's where I buy all my stainless from. And, man, I don't know now. Like, I, I mean. You can trust that stainless. Well, I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't had any bad you have any problems, so that's, that's a good thing. I I would say Niagara is a great place to go through if you don't want to deal with like New Jersey Steel Baron. But. I haven't had a problem with New Jersey Steel Baron. I've just never, I've only ever bought, oh, 
52-100 from them. That's that's all I've ever... They've got their AVL on their Nitro V is not uh, Is it? Anything standards. Huh. I would I would 100% recommend mine. That's, uh, I haven't had a single failure with it. Wait, I didn't that. I had one failure with a fillet knife. 100% my fault. I was able to take it to like 120 degree bend. It was coming back up in like a J before it snapped. Mm-hmm. I still haven't found all of that knife yet. It's all over the shop. But the grain structure was perfect. Oh, wow. Huh. Good good steel. So, so That was at like 62. So at what point do you think when it comes to a knife, hardness over toughness? Like I was reading a, one of the Knife Steel Nerds articles the other day about 52100, and it was saying, he was saying, you know, if you cryo it, you'll get a, another point or two of, rock, of higher Rockwell. However, you also lose, lose toughness, which that makes sense. That's logical. Mm-hmm. But at what point are you, is your extra cryo making, like, you know what I mean? Is it worth losing that little bit of toughness? All right. So now you got to go back into that microstructure in the book. Okay. When what cryo does, it's it's completely turning that RA, the retained austenite, into martensite, plate martensite. And so it's, it's taking what would be a more brittle form, I guess, and completing that transformation into a full knife, quote-unquote, through of a full plate martensite, which... In my book, is going to be tougher than something that is not cryoed that has multiple grain structures or multiple crystalline structures. So, but what, like, don't quote me on that. I'm not a fucking metallurgist, and I'm sure somebody listening could probably tell this better. I'm not either. But that's my thought on it. I when I, I everything that I've read, like. I was always told, uh, a, well, a cryo with A2, you gain like 23% toughness. See, that's that's the part I don't understand. Like, if you're gaining hardness, how do you also gain the toughness? I think it's because you're completing that transformation. A2 needs to also be cryoed to be able to get rid of all that retained austenite. Get rid of all that retained austenite, you have a stronger structure. Even though, so even though it's a harder knife, it's also tougher at the same time at that point. Yeah. But then with fifty two one hundred, from what that does it, say, it does the same thing. It, but he, you don't lose much toughness with it. You do gain a Rockwell, maybe one. You cryo fifty two one hundred, but it's not enough to shake a stick at. But that one guy, the or the the guy, the knife steel nerds guy, said that. That you you lose toughness whenever you cryo fifty two one hundred. I was I I always thought it was uh, that you gained it just like A two. You gained a slight amount of toughness, or you you lost. I, I guess it's depend on how you you test toughness. How does? Yeah. I don't know any listeners out there. He does like a. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Any listeners out there with some insight? Oh. Why don't you you email us or something? Because we're really curious about this. Yeah, yeah. Let us know. I'm sure somebody has something out there. Uh, Man, yeah. Makes me want to get the old salt pot fired up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honestly thinking about sometime using my GI Bill for a metallurgy school. But the problem is, is all these schools are not where I'm at. But I thought right now, because of the whole COVID thing, you could get full tuition of where the school is located or wherever you're located. Full BAH? BAH, yeah. I just quoted a gunsmithing school, and that's not the case. Maybe. Oh, really? Man, that would have been convenient to know at the beginning of COVID. Where's the gunsmithing gunsmithing school at? Oh, well, that's actually an online course, specifically. Okay. So it's not going to matter either way. Yeah, I it mean, was I made, guess so. You could tra- it was made to be online from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I wonder if you can try and sign up. Because, I mean, there's, like, colleges that, you know, they're 
not accept, they weren't accepting kids or anything like that. So. Fuck, I don't know. You might see if what the GI Bill will pay for nowadays. Yeah. I've always wanted to know more about metallurgy, and I'm just not, I'm not able to read it and teach myself. I just don't have that ability. So, it's, it's, actually, talking to you in the hotel at Forged and Fire that one time, I learned a lot just because, you know, pictures. Well, you can dumb it down for me in a way that, you know, what was your analogy yeah. you used about like how uh, studs in a wall, how they're spaced off? Oh, we were talking about how how quenching at higher temperatures than what you're supposed to could make it still hard but not strong. Yes, yes. And you Yes. Yeah. So my yeah, so like basically basically you know, you got a house and normally you got uh what, 16, 16 inches on center for studs. That's that's your normal strength for a house is 16 inches. Say that's a perfect heat treat on whatever steel you've got. So it's exactly 16. So say if you're that was at say it's 1080 1084, you quenched it at 1485 in Parks 50. You got a perfect heat treat. Well, now, let's say, I actually, I'm going to do this one in the forge, and it actually went up to 15. It was at, like, 1550 when I quenched it. Um, now your studs, instead of being 16 inches on center, they're 24 inches on center. Because your, your grain structure now is larger. It's still strong, you know. It maybe can hold the house up, but it's not super strong. It's not as strong as it could be if you had an extra, you know, stud in there. Say you go even higher than that and you quench it 1600 or something like that. You're not paying attention or you're just, you can't see the light difference out of the forge. You know, you see some of the guys on Forge and Fire, they go into the oil super, super hot. Welding heats, yeah. Yeah, you know, and you're like, and that's basically, you know, that's a good analogy for it. You know, you go in at 1,600, 1,700. Now you've got studs that are 36, 36 inches on center. You're barely holding the house up. And just any bit of pressure, and you're going to break. Just like that. Yeah. I always thought that was a good way of relating it. Yeah. I had another one with the whole carbon inside of the Well, the carbon, one. the carbon one has always kind of made sense to me because like, oh, I, I when I think of steel, I think of bread, actually. When you think about it, okay. steel, when it comes down to it, steel is, is essentially iron, carbon, and just a few other little things kind of residual amounts really bread when it comes down to it is flour water and yeast and salt and well actually and sugar you got to have the sugar but but if you combine the the bread the flour sugar salt and water as one that's essentially like the iron of that's in steel and then you put the yeast in it that the very very small amount of yeast, very very mo- small amount of carbon changes it dramatically. Exactly. And then the the whenever bread rises, it kind of makes like a spider web of of uh, I I don't know if it's the gluten technically, but essentially that's what the carbon is in the steel. It makes like a sp- like a spider web that intertwines, going through all the iron atoms, holding it all together. Well, kind of. I don't know if I said that right. Kind of inside the iron atoms. Yeah. Inside the iron molecules. And then whenever you quench it, all that, instead of being spider webbed around the big atoms, or the grains really, now gets mixed in, and you quench it, and it locks them in where they're at, in turn, forcing, place in, like placing the, the carbon in between the iron atoms, which is causing them to actually want to pull together which makes the steel stronger, from what a guy explained to me one time. And you got your other little alloys that do all sorts of other things. So the carbon, or it can change, you know, it can change hardness. It helps helps with hardenability, you know, when you get with, like, nickel, stuff like that, that helps with through hardenability. Um, tungsten, 
I thought nickel was toughness. It's toughness too. Hmm. But it also helps with rewardability. Like uh fifteen and twenty definitely is important all the way through. If you get a big bar of it. I was a that that's a that would be a cool experiment. I would like that would definitely work too. Get get a bar, maybe a couple of bars, flat bars, forge weld it together, heat treat it however you want to heat treat it. Quench it, you know, so you've got a round bar. You can't get maybe if you could find some fifty two one hundred round bars. Heat up the end of it to whatever it needs to be and then quench it. And then machine through it, test the hardness as you go through, you know, eighth inch layers. Oh, that'd be a cool test. Test where your through hardenability actually is. And then go you know, machine a stair step inch, like Yeah, and then and then go an inch from the end and do the same thing and see how far it actually goes hardability wise inch from the end. That'd be cool. That would that's that's one that I've thought about, but I don't have a hardness test for it. Yeah, I don't either. But I just got five. I think that would really Yeah. And so like I feel like doing that with um like W two. That's not through hard you know, it's a shallow hardening steel. You can definitely tell that on thicker bars. I feel like if you don't pre-grind a quarter-inch W2 knife, you're going to have problems with hardenability on your edge post-heat treat grinding. Hmm. I, don't quote me on that, but it just would make sense yeah. to me. Because it's only... Well, that's how that's kind of how uh, getting a moan on a blade actually works, right? Like, Yeah, yeah essentially, with the thickness of the blade and Temperature-wise, that kind of thing. The clay, the clay helps move the temperature or have this or specialize the temperature in a certain place, versus the thickness of the blade doing that. Uh, I guess they they really kind of work in conjunction with each other to get a really good hormone. Um But you could get definitely just get a random hormone by just using I've heard that before. Huh. The one that was stolen was actually, I think that one was just a pinch blade. It was a, I think we played it actually. Hmm. It was a really blade. Man, you didn't have to clay it and, and get a hamon, then it gets stolen. How great. Mm-hmm. And it was hard too. That was one of the, uh, it was like 62 probably, I would guess. Did you know that there's actually, oh, and this would make sense too, but I got talking to the the manufacturer of uh, the Parks 50 oil. I, I can't remember. Maxim? It might have been them. I, I did some looking and I, and I contacted the actual manufacturer and I got talking to him. Did you know there's actually a recommended amount of oil per pound of steel you use? That makes sense. They they told or it, it's a it's like a so many, I want to say it was one gallon per pound, or three gallons per pound. I I don't remember now, but he told me and no. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're gonna be quenching, you know, a pound of steel, you would definitely need a significant amount of oil. Because that's a to be able to quench it. That's a that's the thing, and and I was thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if I even have that out of my setup because what I was quenching that knife in was actually like a four inch pipe, and I was like, man, I don't think I have enough oil per blade ratio technically to do it. However, on the other hand, a blade is so thin exactly. that you can get away with it. But exactly, we all want to be right, so correct. So buy another five gallons and get a huge. Well, I was thinking about building me a big tank and actually circulating the oil in it Ooh. to be really See, fancy. I want to get a, I want to get a magnetic heater, like a block heater to throw on mine for my uh, my AAA, so that I can have it heated up, just plugging it in, so I have it quenched. How block heaters don't even don't get that hot either, do they? I don't know if they got pretty cool for them. I have no idea. Maybe they just get. I thought they only got to like seventy or eighty degrees. 
I don't know. You can hear whenever it's a cold day and you plug one in, though, you can hear it pretty dang quick. Like, well, that's the truth. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for us tonight. It was fun talking about all the blade stuff and all the shitty weeks we've had and all the stuff we've gotten stolen. Tune in next time. We'll see you later. Yeah.